Hello and welcome to episode 273 of Retro Encounter RPG Fans Podcast, done weekly of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite games of 2020, Yakuza Like a Dragon, the artist formerly known as Yakuza 7. And joining me for uh, today's uh, Japanese Silly Crimes Division episode are Jonathan Logan. Hello. Zach Wilkerson. Hi there. And making a triumphant return to the podcast, Caitlin Argyros. Hey there. Hey, Caitlin. It's been a minute since we've talked, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I'm sorry. I've been kind of a stranger to podcast lately. Well, you are never a stranger here on Retro Encounter, and I'm so happy to be joined by you and Jono and Zach um, about a game that I bought almost on a whim last fall because I just sort of wanted something new. And it ended up being one of my favorite games of the year. I was completely blown away by Yakuza Like a Dragon. If you followed me on social media in uh, the range of November to early December, you you probably heard me getting just increasingly deliriously excited about the video game events I was experiencing at the time. Um, and again, this is only the third Yakuza game I've ever played. And so my enthusiasm for the game and the series was just peaking as I was playing it. And even more blatantly than other games in the Yakuza or Ryu Gagatoku series, this is an RPG as RPG. Like it's the first turn-based Yakuza game, but in in, uh, in every facet other than the battle system, it is uh, like every bit uh, a Yakuza as the other games in the series, but just even more appropriate for being discussed in RPG fan. Um, uh, Zach, you're also a, uh, a relatively recent Yakuza player like I am. Uh, what, what, um, what were your, what was your, what was your experience with Yakuza Like a Dragon like, especially in the early goings on? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've never technically played a Yakuza game. I guess I, I played Judgment, um, for review. Yes. Um, I guess, uh, a little over a year ago now. And I liked Judgment a lot. Um, but I, I definitely had some issues with it. Um, like a lot of the detective stuff didn't work for me. And so... But as I was playing it, I was thinking to myself, like, hey, the Yakuza elements of this game, like the things that I know are from Yakuza are really great. Like, I love the side stories. I, I even was kind of okay with the beat-em-up stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, like, once, once uh, Like a Dragon was announced and it was turn-based combat and the protagonist is obsessed with Dragon Quest, I was like, yes, I must have this game. Um, and then it kind of got its hooks in me for about a month. And um, I was delighted for, with it. Pretty much from the jump. I mean, I, I thought it was just amazing. And yeah, I, I think uh, now now Jono, you're the the Yakuza scholar among us. So correct me if I get any details wrong here. RGG Studio released an April Fool's joke in 2019 that the next Yakuza game was going to be turn based, and people the response to that was you know people laughed at the joke and, and were their eyes pretty uh, nice about it, and then re- revealed later that year that Yakuza Seven was in fact going to be turn based, and the reason they're explaining that in game is that its protagonist Ichiban Kasuga loves Dragon Quest so much that he imagines his own personal fights as Dragon Quest battles. Which is not only hilarious, but a joke that lasts for the entirety of this seventy-plus-hour game. Is that is that basically how it went? Yeah, I love the idea that they actually they took what they were working on, released it as an April Fool's joke, just to check what the reception would be. Um, and you know, it was it was mixed. I mean, some people, you know, hardcore uh, beat 'em up fans were not thrilled about it, and then there were RPG fans 
who were like, oh, this, this would be awesome if this was true, but it's not. That's very sad. And then they released it, and everyone, at least I got super excited about it. Because, I mean, I trust these guys. This this development team, I don't, I, I mean, you were the one, you played Fist of the North Star, right? And you weren't thrilled with it, but I can't think of a mm-hmm. bad game that they've released. I, I maybe Dead Souls, and uh, but other than other than that, I, I think that you're right. Like the and all and Yakuza games are always sort of very much of their own style and have their uh, like extremely serious melodramatic writing on in in the main story with extremely non-serious absurd writing in uh, a lot of the other things surrounding it. That that's that's sort of what characterizes the Yakuza games for me. Yeah, it's a it's a melodrama with. It's funny. I don't I don't want to say it's because they're they're nothing alike. But uh, in terms of like melodrama versus comedy, it's a little bit like David Lynch in the sense that it can swing back and forth, like Twin Peaks style, swing back and forth between completely absurd comedic brilliance and then swing all the way back to like heart wrenching pain. It's it's everything almost every single yakuza game is a masterclass in how to maintain tone and how to switch tone between those two yeah the i mean the old thing where uh like like when you balance comedy and tragedy the both the comedic moments and the tragic moments hit harder because they have a contrast to work against uh, and again dead souls is the yakuza uh, zombie shooter spin-off game for the ps3 which is uh, i think uh, pop, I think popularly is considered the worst game in the series, and I, and I thought that the Fist of the North Star game I played was pretty disappointing, um, but n- not even I mean not terrible. Uh, Caitlin, you um, started in on the Ryu Gagatoko Studio stuff earlier than I did because I know I know you played Judgment, but what's your what's your Yakuza history like, and what were your early impressions of Like a Dragon when you played it? Uh, so I'm kind of like Zach in that I've basically I'm effectively a newcomer to the series. I started Yakuza 0 way back when, when it came out, and I liked it, but I think in true me fashion, I got distracted by other games and dropped it, um, which I'm, I'm going to rectify that, like, now-ish, like, tomorrow even, by starting that game again and playing it through this time. Um, and then I played Judgment, and I loved it. Uh, it like Zach said, it's got some issues, but it's overall a really strong game, and it made me kind of like say, okay, now I really have to pay attention to this series because this was good. And then uh, I wasn't actually planning on picking up Like a Dragon when I did. I was going to wait for the PS5 release because it's not that far away, and I wanted, like, you know, I thought, well, I might as well. I have a PS5. I'll wait for, like, the best version. But, um, 2020 is just a really bad year. I'm sure you were all aware of that. And I had just finished playing uh, Cold Steel 4 for review and really got burnt out by that game. Like, I liked it, but I kind of ended up also kind of hating it by the end of it. And I was just like, I want to play something that is going to be fun. It's going to make me feel happy. That is going to be a great experience. And everything I'd heard from people who had played um, the Japanese version from uh, reviews, told me that Like a Dragon was going to be that game. So I was like, you know, screw it. I'll play it now, and then I'll maybe play it again in March when it comes out, uh, uh, when the PS5 version comes out. And I don't regret it, because it was such a great experience. Uh, uh, It convinced me even further uh, than Judgment that I need to 
play the other games, the other mainline games in the series. And uh, it, it ended up being my personal game of the year uh, for 2020. So, like, you know, that that just goes to show how much uh, I enjoyed it and, and uh, what a good game it is. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much for uh, sharing your personal stories with the group. And uh, now, now it's my turn. Uh, my name is Michael S. And I, uh, and I am addicted to Yakuza. Um, mm-hmm. I... I first heard about the Yakuza games or, uh, you know, when the first one came out 15 years ago, I wasn't interested in the least. But then around 2017, 2018, a couple writers I, uh, whom I follow and really like the work of were speaking the praises of Yakuza 0 very, very highly. So I was curious about it. I bought it on sale in 2019, played it for the podcast in 2020, and liked that so much that I ended up like buying every other Yakuza game um and not all at the same time just sort of spread out in uh 2020 so now I uh I went from playing zero Yakuza games in say January 2020 to in January 2021 owning all eight main series ones plus Judgment plus Fist of the North Star and having played five of them so I uh, I went from a Yakuza complete neophyte to a uh, someone who now considers it maybe among my favorite series. I love everything about the unusual tone of the writing to to like to the brilliance of the writing to the uh, I, I like the um, beat 'em up style combat of the older ones and really liked the turn based combat and like a dragon. I am going and part of m- one of my gaming goals of 2021 is to beat all the all of the other games in the series that I own. Uh, and where I stand now is I've got to play three, four, five, and uh, and Judgment. So, right, um, let's talk about Yakuza Seven slash Like a Dragon again. Um, this is a turn-based game. It's a new chapter in the Yakuza series, uh, or I should say, maybe a new volume of the Yakuza series, because for the first time, I think ever, uh, the main character is not Kazuma Kiryu or a stand-in for Yakuza for Kazuma Kiryu, like the, like the Miyamoto Musashi Samurai game from on the PS3. Uh, uh, Ichiban Kasuga is a completely new character, completely new personality, com- uh, completely new voice actor, although I think his uh, Japanese voice actor is the same uh, guy as Nichi- Nishikiyama in uh, Yakuza, Yakuza 1 and 0, which is kind of loaded, but... Uh, yeah, guy has some range. Yeah, but, but, but here, we, here we are. And... Um, the, amusingly, the beginning of Like a Dragon is kind of similar to the beginning of Yakuza 1 in that uh, um, Ichiban goes to prison for a crime he did not commit. And then uh, after finishing his sentence, um, the Tojo clan that he knew is completely in disarray and he has a, a, a personal journey and a, you know, a, 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 and a crime dra- drama to, navi- to navigate sort of on his own. But other than that, you know, other than a few details at the outset, this is very different from any previous Yakuza game. So, uh, the ver- at the very beginning, we we meet him. I think he's around. I think he's around twenty or twenty-one years old. You see him going around the streets of Kamurocho. You you uh, meet some of the other guys in his small family in the Toyojo clan, uh, especially um, Arakawa, who is the the clan patriarch and um, the father figure in Ichiban in Ichiban's life. Ichiban uh, was orphaned as a child and raised in a soapland brothel, brothel whose uh, whose manager was a man named Kasuga, hence Ichiban Kasuga, and uh, but then he. Uh, was rescued by Arakawa as a teenager when he um, stupidly 
uh, like threatened some uh, uh, some Yakuza thugs, saying he was with the Arakawa clan when he wasn't. But uh, Arakawa uh, rescued him, cut off his own finger uh, as as an apology to the, the Yakuza thugs, and and eventually took him in. So Ichiban has you know, was raised in a brothel, grew up idolizing Yakuza, and also idolizing um, Dragon Quest, because when he was growing up in that uh, in that soap land, he was, you know, he would play all of the Dragon Quest games for the NES and Super, and Super NES. <laughs> like, so he ended up sort of like, sort of like being raised in, you know, in, in, in sin or, or surrounded by illegal activities, but also maybe hero like having this idea that he wants to be a hero and wants to do good in the world, which you know gives him a very very yakuza like personality of being pure hearted and a good person, but openly engaging in criminal activity. <laughs> a complete misunderstanding of what the yakuza do. It, mm-hmm. it, yes, yeah. <laughs> the yakuza is a strange series that is like you're you're either a criminal who's the worst at crime or a good person who seems to be surrounded by crime. Like I, I'm not, it, it's, it's a, a weird dichotomy to experience, but um, I mean, Ichiban Kasuga, he won RPG fans protagonist of the year in our 2020 game of the year awards, because he is so, uh, he is so lovable and so pure hearted in, in spite of who he is and what he does. So uh, what are our thoughts on him? And then maybe the first couple chapters of the game. I think he's very different from every other Yakuza protagonist that came before him, um, which is, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think this game stands alone. It's like, I mean, Kiryu is basically a paladin uh, and uh, Majima is chaos incarnate, but still good hearted. He's just a good natured dumbass, And it's such a great, it's such a great character to have, especially as Caitlin was saying, 2020 was so bad and was such a downer the entire time that it was really nice to have a protagonist that was just nothing but positivity, just a ball of positive energy uh, that you could play for a couple of hours. Say, I love him. I think he's, I think he's a great protagonist. Yeah, I agree uh, pretty much with, with all of that. Uh, that was a big part of why I was like, uh, th- why I decided to go ahead and play it is I heard all the praise for, for Ichiban in particular. And I was like, you know, I really need someone like that right now just because everything else is kind of a dumpster fire. Um, but he's, oh God, he's such a great uh, a player character, I think, too. Um, because he, uh, Kiryu, like I... My, I don't have a huge amount of experience with him uh, since I only played like the f- first third, I guess, of Yakuza Zero. But Kiryu is always seems to me to be more stoic uh, in in his interactions and whatnot. And Ichiban let that sort of goofy side or lets that goofy side go a lot more and is fun and wacky and and you know part of it's the hair because you know the hair be crazy um but he's such a you know fun character to follow and you really you really you know root for him despite him being a dumbass you can't help but like just like all of his friends you cannot help but love the guy and want to stand by his side and see him through all the shit that he gets himself into um 
and I have to say, uh, like, you know, I don't know which voices people played with, but I played with the English uh, dubbing. Uh, so good. Keiji Tong is just amazing. Um, especially, like, I was introduced to him uh, through Cold Steel. He plays, uh, he voices Gaius. And I think that's the first time I had ever heard him uh, as a voice actor. And so Gaius kind of became, like, my, when I think of Keiji Tong, that's who I think of. And yeah, Gaius is an okay character, but he's really boring and, and you know, like that. It was really great to see him voice a character like Ichiban and really... You can see the range that this guy has when he does voice acting. He did uh, such an amazing job. My hat is off to him for this job. Yeah, I mean, I think the the voice acting in this game, and I played it in English as well, was excellent. <clears throat> Almost oh, I was the only one who played it in Japanese. Um, I mean, I, I considered it, um, and I know that if I go back to play previous ones, I'll have to play them in Japanese. But I don't know for some reason. I just like <laughs> I just like playing them in English. But and I think that one of the things that's important about Ichiban too is like given like the nature of the difference between Kiryu and Ichiban, and I don't, I, again, I don't know Kiryu very well, but I, and I think that in this game, you're playing with the party of, you know, characters and you, like you, you have people like surrounding you all the time, whereas Kiryu sort of strikes me as more of like a lone wolf. Um, and in order to like sort of sell that idea that like you're going to have like a party of people who are going to believe in you and, and move forward um, with you on, you know, your hero's quest, um, Dragon Quest style is he needs to have that big ebullient personality, I think, in order to make that um, make sense. Um, and I think that it, it works really well. Um, and I'm not sure that I actually think that he's super dumb. He actually, I, I, for the most part, I feel like he usually makes pretty pretty smart decisions. And if you do the business management sim, I mean, yeah. he becomes like the best businessman in all <laughs> in the whole town. I mean, I I, I think that um, he definitely um, comes off that way, um, and I think that makes him more lovable. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I think one hundred percent right. I don't mean I don't, I don't mean dumb in terms of stupid. I mean like dumbass in turn of in terms of being impulsive, not really thinking certain things through. Like later, yeah. where he, yeah. he rushes into the he rushes into the headquarters. He's like, Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go in. He's, <laughs> he's very much a character who's just sort of he, his heart rules him. He just he he everything he does is just an impulse from his heart, and his heart is always in the right place. It's a wonder that he actually survived as a Yakuza to the point that we see him in the yeah, beginning no of the game. Because he doesn't seem to have any sense for what, like, like you said, he doesn't seem to understand what Yakuza do. And he's always like actually helping people instead of trying to grift them out of their money. But like, he's very much like his heart rules him and he just kind of acts on impulse based on what feels right to him. Yeah, a, a few more things on Ichiban. Uh, he's definitely strong as an ox. Like he, uh, it, it's he's canonically at least a good fighter. And uh, when people like Sawashiro or, uh, or or others like will complain about him and call him dumb, they everyone at least acknowledges that he's strong. So that gives us a that gives us at least a baseline for okay, at least it makes sense that we're able to beat up all of these all of these. Uh, all of these dangerous people. Um, but the thing about Ichiban is uh, that makes him so much different from Kiryu to me personally is that Kiryu is sort of a ready-made badass. Like in, even in Yakuza 1, he is already the well-known dragon of Dojima and he has a reputation that he carry that he carries with him even though he he's very he's definitely 
a you know an a good person to an extreme degree like i mean i mean crime paladin gets thrown around with him uh but he, and he has this uh like this stoicism about him but like like kiryu is a ready made uh yakuza while ichiban was a low level guy then went to prison for 20 years and is a is now a nobody among nobodies who has to sort of um drag himself up from the bottom to build his reputation he's not he's not ready made like yakuza um, excuse me kiryu already has a dragon on his back while um ichiban's tattoo is a carp turning into a dragon which you know going along with the uh, the folkloric store story of a if a carp is able to swim to the top of a waterfall it can become a dragon uh, and also, yeah, really good party chat about that at some point, which explains yeah, it really nicely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and oh, I want to get into the party chat uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. But but also, um, Ichiban is so trusting it, that it is a little silly. Like like he uh, and part of that is I think going into the idea of a Dragon Quest party. Um, the hero sort of gets followers and companions around him, and only when they sort of combine their strength. Can they defeat the demon lord in every single Dragon Quest game except for the first one, I guess? But and and I think that because Ichiban has this idea of building your party and making friends, he just values friendship and trusts uh, and trusts everyone, even when they do obvious, obviously horrible things right in front of him. Um, and and this makes me uh, that puts things into context like uh in the first couple chapters for a while you uh work for this other this uh other soap land owner in yokohama who's basically a scumbag who um o- openly admits to uh to exploiting his workers um and uh and 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 skirting certain regula- regulations although he is protective of them to a degree but uh ichiban is so grateful that he hired him for some work and helped him in a, in a few instances that he is literally like rushing to avenge his death when he's on un- when the soapland owner is unexpectedly murdered and this is not the I mean, this is a spoiler cast we are going into spoilers for this whole episode sorry if you haven't played past chapter five yet uh listeners but uh but it, it, it's so weird to me that ichiban will tr- immediately trust anyone that's done something good for him like, like uh in the in chapter two or three uh his uh his his uh his father figure arakawa um, who he hasn't seen in 20 years or in 18 or 19 years, whatever the amount of, whatever the exact number is, like sh- up, says, sorry, Ichiban shoots him in the, in the chest, leaves him for dead. He wakes up in the, uh, in a homeless camp in Yokohama, but he still believes in Arakawa to the very, very end. And I think it just takes a special kind of trusting idiot to, to do that. And, but because Ichiban often demonstrates good judgment, but while still stupidly, trusts everyone and acts foolishly occasionally he he's in that zone where he's either the the dumbest genius or the smartest idiot i've ever seen he's a remarkably lucky man yeah yeah <laughs> i mean his luck if there was a luck stat in this game it would be through the roof for him is there a luck stat in this game i don't think there is no there's a lot of stats i mean there's uh and, honest, and th- i think that's the, the way that stats are handled in this game is one of the weaknesses of it but that's we'll get into that later. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot like a Dragon Quest game in for half of it and a Persona game for half of it. And uh, and a lot of people would make, you know, surface comparisons to Persona 5 to Yakuza 7 like a dragon, which I I don't think are unwarranted, but maybe a little bit too quick because the the battle interface that uh has you go to the main commands on the face buttons um and uh and and the social stats where uh you know, um Ichiban has stats like uh like passion and intellect 
that allow him to interact with people in town uh, differently is a lot like the uh, social stat system in Persona 3, 4, and 5. Uh, so it's Persona-like, but um, when you get into the how battle stats work and how uh, the class change system works, that's much more Dragon Quest than Persona. Of the seven playable characters, it's three men in their 40s, two men in their 20s or 30s, and two women in their 20s or 30s. And it's, it's refreshing <laughs> uh, to, to be playing a game about adults uh, interacting with other adults. That, that can, you know, and to a point where going out drinking is a major part of gameplay at times. Yeah, it's refreshing for a JRPG to feature uh, old people that other JRPG, long-storied JRPG series would consider, you know, grandpas and grandmas based on their age. I'm looking at you, Final Fantasy. <laughs> oh, I'm, you, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at Tales of, where the old, yeah. the, like, a lot of Tales games have an old man in the party, and the old How man old is... How old is Raven in Vesperia? Isn't he, like, 30-something? No, yeah, I, I, think, I think they're 32 or something, and this, the same thing, like, Clarth is the old man in Tales of Fantasia, and he's 28, like, and, and so to have a game where every playable character, except for maybe Psycho and Eri, being older than the old man in Tales of Fantasia is, is great. <laughs> I, I think this is a great main party. Oh yeah, I love the the main crew. Uh, specifically, the you know the the four uh, the four main characters really. Um, so Ichiban, Nanba, Adachi, and Saiko. I like Jungihan and Zhao too, but they don't get as much development or or time really to grow with the party. And they're even strangely enough excused from certain cutscenes. Yeah, uh, for weird reasons. The, yeah, the, it, there's there's some weirdness with how the game presents the entire party in cutscenes later on in the game. Um, yeah. Well, oh, and of course, Ari, who's yeah. easy to forget because she's not even in the main story outside of her introduction. I, I, I want to talk about Ari a little bit later, but you, you're right with about the sort of convenience of the game's cutscenes. Like there will be a let's say you're in the second half of the game, so all seven characters are in your party, and you can use any of the seven in any in any battle, but. Uh, if if a story cutscene is really about like say Ichiban and Adachi talking about the police, then it might just be the main four in that cutscene. Or if uh, um like if there's a scene where you're confronting Mabuchi, the cutscene might be just Ichiban and Zhao because Zhao has a history with 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 Mabuchi. Even though for both of those things, all seven characters are around, so it, it might it might be to you know, save production costs, but there's like, they, they're weirdly selective about who shows up in cutscenes at different times. Um, but let's go into the, the main cast a little bit. Like um, when Ichiban first finds himself almost shipwrecked in Yokohama, uh, a homeless man named Nanba um, patches him up. Nanba is a former hospital nurse, but has been recently hit by hard times. So he worked, so he's a homeless person in a uh, sort of a homeless camp on the, uh, in the South part of Yokohama. Um, and uh, there's also Adachi, who Ichiban meets in Kamurocho before going to Yokohama. But Adachi is a DMV instructor <laughs> who used to be a, who's a former police detective, and has uh, um, but it, but is trying to expose corruption within the police force, and that lost him his job at the DMV. Uh, and all and Saiko is a young woman. I think she's in her twenties. Um, she's the twin sister of a young woman that they that you help in a quest early in the game. And uh, eventually joins up with the team. Uh, they meet at the funeral of that soap landowner who died, and uh, and they team up to try and uh, and to try and take down some 
some nefar some nefarious goings on around uh, around Yokohama, and eventually uh, the group clashes with um, the the local uh, the local yakuza, which is called the Seryu clan, and they're separate from the Tojo clan in Kamurocho and the Omi Alliance in Osaka. The Liumong, which is a uh, a gang comprised of Chinese immigrants that run. Uh, part of the east-northeast side of Yokohama, and the Gomi Jewel, which is a Korean gang that is uh, basically a very t close-knit group of Korean immigrants with some ties to the uh, Korean mafia on the mainland that run part of central Yokohama. And eventually, one of the... Um, one of the bosses within the Gomi Jewel, Jun Gihan, and one of the and and the entire the main boss of the Yumong, Zhao, join your party after the sort of uh, after the goals of those three criminal organizations align. Oh, and also there's Eri, who is a, uh, a a local business owner who runs her family's uh, senbei shop. Senbei is a kind of rice cracker, and so it's like a, it's basically like a confection or sweet shop. Who uh, who asks. Um, who asks Ichiban for help uh, running her company because uh, she was originally looking for that soapland owner who died in chapter four or five, but Ichiban ends up taking uh, taking over the reins. And uh, the game's business management sim is taking that sweets shop and making it the number one <laughs> the number one business in Yokohama, which is its own crazy thing. So you have your uh, your your seven main characters are a yakuza. A Korean gangster, a Chinese gangster, a homeless guy, a bar hostess, uh, a disgraced police detective, and a and a an office lady. And you you join together to like to save Japan from corrupt politicians and gang warfare. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it tracks. <laughs> yep. Poor Aerie, though. She's they do her dirty in this game because she's. I like her, and she's cute, and she's actually really useful in battle. She's so uh, good in battle. Oh, but attack, like attack, attack is just awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love all of her her clerk skills. They're so. If you've ever worked in an office or a library like I do, and you've had to deal with either coworkers or patrons who you just really like, you want to take a stapler to them and just like bash them with a stapler or throw your, you know throw your, your phone around like it's a nunchuck or whatnot. Like, this girl, this, this job is for you. The clerk job is for you. Oh. But the story just ignores her. Yeah. She's um, like, she's gone from the main story after the introduction to her and, I, and, and, the, and the management game, and it's so bad. I, I have a podcast gimmick game that I was going to introduce later, but I might as well introduce the first round of it now. I have three dumb questions I want to I ask each of you, and I want you to tell me if they're fair or unfair. And then the first dumb question was Airy Erasure. Is, 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 like, is the game so unfair to Airy that they should have either included her more or not had her in the game at all? <laughs> because it, like, outside of one cutscene in Chapter 5, it's possible to not encounter one of the game's seven playable characters for the entirety of the game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it, it plays, and I think I, it, it feels a little Octopath Traveler, <laughs> where she's just, like, not, like, I, like, she's in my party, and until I got Junki Han and Zhao, like, she was always in my party, as you guys were talking about, like, her clerk abilities are so useful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it feels, uh, not to make a horrible pun here, but, like, it feel, she feels tacked on in a way <laughs> that uh, doesn't really work for me, um, and it, it, like, the other cutscene stuff didn't bother me as much, but, like, early on, when you only have Especially once you lose one of the main character, one of the characters in your party, and she's like your fourth member, and then she's still not there. It is yeah. so strange. Um, I, 
I, I get it. Like they're working on a budget, and there's a reason they're able to turn these games out so quickly. Um, but that that part was it's strange for me. It's I, mean, I would I would say she needs to be in the game more. I I don't want her cut because I like her and her chicken, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that. But like the, the, the at I, least the second Yakuza chicken that I know of. Uh, did uh, John Jono? Are there any more than uh, omelet and nugget, or is it just those two? It's just those two. I okay, think. Okay. Okay. I mean, God knows there'll be a third at some point. But stepping away from just Aerie for a second. Uh, this game, I mean, I, we talked about the uh, the sort of the silliness of the of the roles of the seven characters. Um, I basically just named their starting jobs. Um, Ari is an office clerk, but she whose main weapons are box cutters or rulers. But she does stances like like a ninja and uh, and throws office supplies like uh, like like thumbtacks and and uh, and staplers and Nanba. He's basically your game's black mage, but he's a homeless guy who uses like uh like bad smell and and pigeon summoning attacks in his in his spells. Um Saiko's a bar hostess who does things like uh like 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 praising and encouraging others or or like or throwing like or throwing beer at them to, uh, uh, for her attacks. She's she's basically a a support mage or general magic user. While uh, your your more traditional gangsters uh, Zhao and Jun Gi Han will use um, will use blades and guns and martial arts, uh, but it, it, it's such a weird collection of roles. And in chapter five, when you unlock the unemployment office, which is which is a nationally run program in Japan called Hello Work, uh, you can go to Hello Work and have them change jobs. But the other jobs are equally everyday. Li- li- like living in a city jobs like construction worker and uh, bar host or bar hostess and uh, or or street musician and um and but all of them are treated with the you know like you get powers and skills like they were a fighter mage thief cleric job in a dragon quest game so the uh, the the game's job system is sort of is sort of comedy infused, but trying to fit in with the Yakuza universe, and and uh, every character's base job is sort of true to what the character is, and is unusually powerful. Like I think at the end of the game, I had every single character except Psycho in one of their starting jobs. I moved to Dachi as well. Um, Dachi was an enforcer for me at the end. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I I kept I had a Dachi switch between musician and enforcer. Uh, and in, in, enforcer uh, listeners, in case you aren't aware, being like a uh, uh, a tank. Uh, it, it's like being like a police officer, uh, like like a SWAT team member. They yeah. they get they get um they get shields and uh and yeah, right and, and yeah right like a riot squad officer. That's 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 the right term. Um, uh, I, that's right. I didn't have a Dachi in there either. And I, and I think Psycho's starting job is kind of terrible. But um, yeah, but, but switch make, her out of that and don't take her back. Yeah, but uh, but but the, I put her an idol for almost the entire game. No, like idol she, is she's your white mage. She's supposed to be your white mage pretty much. Yeah, yeah. No, if you make her an idol, she's the best white mage in the game. And if you make her a hostess, she's like the best black mage in the game. She's a really really good magic user. But her but her starting barmaid job is pretty terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, and we talked a little bit about this on the um, end of the year podcast. I think one of the things that I like about the way the jobs work in this game is that they're all, uh, I played around with a number of them. I mostly, um, based on your advice, mostly stuck with starting classes for the most part. But I like that it um, it like respects each of these jobs that are oftentimes not respected by society as being something that is useful, something that is important because like they all have their uses. Um, and I think that uh, one of the things this game does really well 
is respecting where characters come from um, and talking about people who um, maybe aren't as recognized in certainly JRPGs or in society in general. And I think that the way they make all those jobs useful in their own ways, um, the way they all sort of click together um, sort of plays on that. I like that it, like it makes these very like oftentimes like working class jobs, like really valuable in battle. I mean, we mentioned uh, that, uh, Ichiban is found by a group of homeless people um, in pretty early on, and eventually uh, they they consort with uh, with brothel workers and a lot of uh, a lot of immigrant communities, but mostly the the Chinese and Koreans uh, parts of Yokohama. But there's a sort of a if not celebration, like like a respect for uh, for the downtrodden and the working class that they really want to communicate in this game because. The game's villains are ultimately uh, crime bosses and politicians who are be, who are power players in Japan and live in opulence, go, going out to eat Peking duck whenever they want, <laughs> and uh, that are that you know at the uh, are that are gaining more power and more influence, often at the expense of these people at the bottom rung of society's ladder, and uh, like there's. There's a, uh, a a political movement going on in the game called Bleach Japan, where a a small a certain group of politicians are trying to uh, you know wrangle the support of Japanese middle class by having them bleach or clean out uh, communities like homeless and, uh, and 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 sex workers, which you know which is which is kind of messed up and and Anichiban and his crew openly fight the Bleach Japan uh, crowds often because they have direct connections to the communities of homeless and sex workers. It's a, uh, it's an aspect of Japanese society or, or I mean, or, or of human society that you don't really see a lot in, I mean, in a JRPG it's, it's a, uh, it's weird and also like refreshing and, and enlightening that they would do this approach. Yeah. I mentioned in my review that I was, I mean, the Yakuza games have traditionally always treated the homelessness with a uh, with uh, respect. At least I think so. Um, mm-hmm. And but in this game, it's taken to an entirely new level because I mean, Ichiban is homeless, which I think is you know for the first for the after you get out of jail and after you leave uh, Kamarocho, you are a homeless. This is not just a this is a, you you are looking for money underneath uh, vending machines. You are looking for cans. Like it's a key gameplay uh, element. They're, they give there. you tutorials for looking for coins under vending machines and collecting cans for money. Yeah, it literally puts you in the shoes of a homeless person because you are at that point. You'd have nowhere to sleep except for the homeless camp. That's where you restore your uh, your HP and MP. Um, but the game has a real uh, a, a vein of social consciousness running through it that I don't think that a lot of other games have because it does tackle a lot of uh, a lot of societal. Uh, hot topics issues that people like bleach Japan would prefer to be swept under the, the rug or just eliminated altogether, like homelessness, uh, illegal immigration, elder abuse is another one that's has quite a, that's quite right. A spectacular, I, uh, spotlight put on it. I forget if it's chapter three or four, but there's a whole, uh, or, it, it, it's the, it's the whole thrust of one of the games. Um, like main, uh, it, it's the main plot of one chapter that, uh, Ichiban, Nanba, and Adachi go undercover at this homeless at this uh, at this homeless 
um, excuse me, at, at a uh, uh, at a senior living center that's being run by the Yakuza and uh, maybe mercy killing its own members that can't afford to pay the fees anymore. And 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 that's how you meet Psycho's sister, whose uh, whose father is um is a resident there. And 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 eventually Psycho uh, um, joins your party in the following chapter. But it, it's, I, I mean, how many RPGs do you know that address? address all of these things at once it's um it's it's so remarkable and uh and ichiban because he is this like wellspring of positivity and and gratitude he um every time he encounters these he immediately goes and fights for them i don't don't mean just metaphorically fight like like breaks out his baseball bat and fights for them this game goes for the like 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 the um social conscience of the player immediately, and uh, the, the Japanese subtitle of the game is um, is between light and darkness, or in the vicinity of light and darkness, because there's this whole underlying theme of gray, how no one is all good or all bad, and and uh, and everyone exists within a gray space. But the uh, Bleach Japan and the game's villains are uh, want to bleach out or remove all of the dark and gray in in Japan so that only the white remains which is you know obviously incredibly hypocritical especially since the bleach Japan leadership are using yakuza muscle to achieve their ends yeah it's almost like they don't actually believe in what they preach and one thing um that i think is uh, a cool story choice they do um right around the middle of the game uh, the, uh, the character Ryo Aoki has been mentioned a couple times as the founder of Bleach Japan, but when you see his face for the first time, or when Ichiban sees his face for the first time, he immediately uh, uh, recognizes him as the as the son of Arakawa, his uh, former mentor, who he addressed as the young master. And um, Ichiban even calls Aoki the young master for the whole remainder of the game. And I, I think it's cool that they didn't that the, they didn't hide that from the player until the very end. Like, it would have been easy for them to make Ryo Aoki this shadow figure who isn't recognized as the young master until near the end. But instead, cool. like, like Ichiban's purity and straightforwardness makes him immediately recognize the young master and make that the, the lead story from the moment it happens. It's in chapter 8 or 9. Aoki is someone that uh, was disabled as a, as a young man. He has to get around on a wheelchair for the most part who uh, through some combination of surgery and medicine is no longer disabled as a as a um, in his 30s or 40s but is just so like obsessed with people telling him no or people telling him he can't do something that he has this endless thirst for power that ends up with him using his father's yakuza connections to rise up in the political world over and over until he is um like the governor of Tokyo and the chair of the biggest political party in Japan with aims of maybe being the prime minister as his next step. Like he's just so high up in the political world through this political movement that aims to uh, eliminate um, gray areas or eliminate uh, people living outside the law. And, uh, but while Ichiban is this person who lives within those gray areas and doesn't really have political ambitions, but what, but like believes in the in the good in others in a way that that Aoki absolutely cannot, and uh, and then the person that Aoki displaces um, as the as the party chair is a politician from Yokohama. I forget his name, but uh, but oh, who- Kubo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is is it um Oni Kubo or Oi Kubo? Ogi Kubo. Ogi Kubo. Thank you. Um, I'm I I definitely mix up a lot of Japanese names playing these games. I'm I'm not great at keeping them all together, but uh, Ogi Kubo 
when he was uh, a representative from Yokohama, he sort of let all of these criminal organizations, the Gomi Jewel, the Yumong, and the Seryu, exist in a sort of permanent truce so there wouldn't be, or, or there would be much less open violence in Yokohama, and it would keep out the influence of other criminal organizations, and allow all three organizations and himself benefit from a counterfeiting ring that was going on behind the scenes. So, so Ogi Kubo is a person who, for the protection of his constituents, would engage in some wild criminal non uh, nonsense, while uh, Aoki openly disdains and wipes out uh, criminal activity while secretly benefiting greatly from criminal activity and dispatches Ogi Kubo in a political coup. It's that there's so many like different ideals clashing and stakes in the political and criminal stakes of the story rising that it is just so exciting and fun to follow through to the end. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I loved the main story and, and, uh, and sort of major characters in this game. Yeah. And I think that Alki ends up being a great villain uh, for for Ichiban and for for the party, like the the first half of the game, you're 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 kind of you know you're wandering from from job to job, and you're not sure like is Arakawa a bad guy? Did he just you know shoot Ichiban because hey he turned traitor and oh I like the Omi Alliance now? And then there's Mabuchi, but you don't know if like Mabuchi is just doing all this stuff on his own because he hates the the Great Wall of Muscle, or if he's being manipulated, and then, you know, once you get to chap the end of Chapter 8, and you and Ichiban recognizes Aoki, suddenly the pieces start to fit. It's such a great little web that they, that they spin with Aoki and Arakawa and Ichiban all kind of in the middle, and all of the crap that goes down uh, that, that made Aoki who he is and Ichiban again being that lovable dumbass who just can't give up on him and wants to, you know, make him see the error of his ways and bring him back, you know, from this, this sort of like this precipice that he's standing over uh, uh, with all this power and ambition that Aoki has. You know that Aoki looks at Ichiban like an insect. Like he hates that there is someone still around who can recognize him for who he was as Masato Arakawa 20 years earlier. And, mm -hmm. and Ichiban doesn't care a lot about the power struggle for the uh for the like for the political center of Japan but cares a whole lot about um about his you know his connection and his brotherhood with Aoki the former Masato and and, and Ichiban still calls Aoki the young master uh f throughout the entirety of the game so for for them to view their relationship so differently and for them for their priorities to be so different is is just another like a uh, like ideological dif difference that sort of comes to a head at the very end of the game, and uh, and Aoki, we should mention, um, sort of uh, seizes control of the, or at least enters a partnership with the Omi Alliance, which is an Osaka-based yakuza uh, faction that are mostly villains in other yakuza games, and um, uh, be because. Um, he influences his father, Arakawa, to leave the Tojo clan while Ichiban was in prison and sell them out to the Omi. So uh, at the at the beginning of the game, or I should say um, after the prison time skip, um, the Tojo clan is in complete disarray. Uh, Arakawa is now a captain within the o Omi alliance, and his former subordinate, uh, Sawashiro, is one of the top lieutenants. And uh, again, the Tojo clan is in crisis. Sounds familiar.
Yeah, the Tochu clan is always in crisis. I mean, in this particular case, I just find it hysterically funny that, I mean, this is Yakuza Like a Dragon or Yakuza 7 is, I know it's I know it's the seventh game and technically the seventh sequel or eighth sequel, I guess, but it's also a sequel to all of the themes and uh, and ideas that were explored in the first zero to uh, six. So the fact that they've gotten rid of the Tojo clan, I think, is a very smart move. And I think it's hysterically funny that it only lasted like two years after Kiryu left the scene. Like he's been propping them up since 1988. <laughs> if it wasn't for him, this they would have been gone a long time ago. And now the Tojo clan is gone and is even willingly dissolved. In, in chapter 12... Uh, that chapter for me was weird. It it was, uh, it was weird, but it, it, it was it, weird in terms of the difficulty spike. Oh my god! Yeah, you're not about that. But it's also like Sunbury is. It, it's actually my favorite uh, location in the series. I love it. I just it's just the kind of place where whenever I whenever I get to visit there in game, I, I really just love it. I love the design. I love what it does. I love the fact there's like maybe you guys don't know this yet. There's like two different versions of it that like oscillate between games depending on which design there is. Um, I know why they went there, but the fact that it, Sonobori is a location in this game just felt really tacked on to me. There was no reason for me to, in my mind anyway, to even like be in the city aside from needing, aside from a little bit of nostalgia bait with seeing uh, the various locations from Zero and uh, and uh, Kiwame there. Right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, backtrack a little bit. We should mention Sorry, yeah. that uh, that that uh, the majority of Yakuza Like a Dragon takes place in Ijincho, which is in Yokohama, Japan, and is based on a real life location called called Isazaki Cho. Uh, while in, two locations that have appeared in previous Yakuza games many times are Kamarocho, which is based on part of Tokyo called Kabuki Cho, and Sotenbori, which is uh, part of Osaka based on a real life area called Dotonbori. So most of the game takes place in Ijincho, Yokohama. But you do go back to Kamurocho and Sotenbori um, for story reasons. And there are things in those towns, uh, mostly restaurants, because I, I went around and, eat and ate in a lot of places in this game. But, uh, but Sotenbori and uh, Kamurocho in Yakuza 7 are way stripped down compared to the, um, those locations in previous games. 100% of the, of the sub-stories are in Yokohama, or I should say in, in Jidencho. Um Every single mini game, I think, except for one dungeon in Kamarocho and the battle arena in Sotenbori, are in Ijincho. So this is really an Ijincho game that has these two previous classic uh, Yakuza locations recreated, but in a much stripped-down manner, uh, like as as places you can visit, but are but don't have a lot to do. Um, and, and like Jono said, uh, they do feel a little tacked on. Um, if Kamarocho not, a little less so than Sondabori because of the the backstory where the Tojo clan was located, and the fact that we get those we get the same nice moments that we got in uh, Yakuza One and Kiwame, where you get to uh, you get to explore the city like decades before, and then you get to explore it today, and you kind of feel how things have changed and just how lost uh, your character feels in this new in this new world. And also, this wouldn't be a Yakuza game if there weren't boss fights up the Millennium Tower. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the Millennium Tower. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Um, the the final dungeon I think is a is a new is a sort of super version of the Millennium Tower. I'm 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 at around eighty five percent trophies on this game, and uh, and doing the post game dungeon is one of the trophies I've yet to do. 
there's, there's two of them, Eve, actually. There's the final Millennium Tower, and then there's the true final Millennium Tower oh, for the truly masochistic among us. Yeah, yeah I've got about builds you need for that, and I, that, no thanks. Yeah, I'm, you, I, you I have I, to grind out like every job or most I, of them. I, I really like this game, so I'm thinking about trying going for platinum on it. But uh, I mean, things like the final arena and the fi- and the final post game dungeon are what's preventing me from going there. But I, well, let's go back to Show a little bit because this. Um, Ijincho, which is again a part of downtown Yokohama, uh, the real version of it's called Isazaki Cho. It's it's a really really cool video game city. Uh, and, and like it, it feels lived in. The different districts feel distinct from each other. Um, the amount of activities that you can do are sort of uh, typical for what is offered in a Yakuza game, but impressive nonetheless. Um, the, the everything from the range of restaurants to the range of side quests to the range of side activities to just how the different parts of the town feel is really awesome to me. I loved exploring Eugene Show, even if it was just for finding missing cats. Ah, <laughs> oh, the cats. If I heard a meow, I would stop whatever the hell I was doing and frantically look around for the missing cat because not only did I want to complete the side side quest, which had a decent reward, I think, um, just like the idea of a cat meowing looking to be found was a little too stressful for me not to address. <laughs> yeah, they introduced the cat quest in uh, Yakuza 6, which you'll get to. Um, mm. And since then, it's been kind of a staple of these games. It's in my 2021 plan, uh, and uh, and I mean I, I'm busy with Radiant Historia right now, but I will probably start Yakuza three next month. It's funny uh, the the cat cat quest uh, in uh, Like a Dragon is much simplified from the cat quest in six, but I think it actually benefits from it because the cat quest in six has a few frustrating aspects where you have to you have to find the cat and then you need to give the cat the right kind of cat food in oh. order for it to mm-hmm. actually. To go judgment. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah, don't like that one bit. Thing. But you know, um, I, I think this game does, like, like it, it does strip down or simplified versions of some previous Yakuza quests. But I think that they're pretty smart. Like the business sim game in Yakuza, in Like a Dragon, is like the one in Yakuza Zero. But um, things are predicated on a shareholders meeting mini game at the end. Mm-hmm. Which I got, which I got pretty good at. I ended, I ended up like uh, op- optimizing my crew to, like, to, to like I, I would, I'd keep around one person to be a heavy hitter of each of each argument type, and one person with a low cost just to chip down defenses of the shareholders. I, I got, a, I got really too deep into it. I, I beat the entire uh, uh, business and mini game in chapter five when it's introduced. Um, That's impressive. It, it, it was yeah. No, no, I would, I had to be, I had to approach it st- strategically. I would like beat the first leg of it then take a break, go around town, recruit some new managers, do some sub-stories, then beat the next leg of it, then repeat that, and then I and then with around three phases of that, I, w- I had enough good managers to beat the whole thing. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it took me a while. I, like, I, I spent longer, like three times longer in Chapter 5 than any other chapter in this game. But like almost everything uh, in Yakuza 7 that has an analog in a previous game is done in a more streamlined, more accessible manner. That I uh, and, and I'll, like like the eating system is just sort of more reasonable in this game, even even though you don't get uh, a crazy amount of exp from eating like you do in uh, in Kiwami Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just yeah. I, I like my, uh, for hours of Kiwami Two, I would go into a seafood restaurant, eat half of the menu, leave, get into three fights, then go back and eat the other half of the menu, and 
Um, uh, just because they give it gives it's a good source of exp. Uh, not quite like that in Yakuza Seven, but they they handle it smartly. If you're like me, you're going into the restaurants in Like a Dragon uh, and choosing the menu items so you can get the uh, the chats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, what do they call them? The um, table talks, I think. Yeah between the characters, because those are often hilarious. Yeah, there's table talks from going into certain restaurants and ordering certain foods, and also uh, just party chats from walking around town and passing by certain areas. And that's one huge advantage of Like a Dragon compared to every other previous Yakuza game. This is the first Yakuza game where you are, where, when you are in a party. Like, like sometimes in older ones, Kiryu would be accom- accompanied by uh, Detective Date-san, or his or his um his adopted daughter Haruka, and there would be t- talks between them. But for this game, you're really part of a group, and there's a lot of interpersonal interaction and a ton of dialogue, and it's often great. Like I, you get really attached to these characters with all of this party chat and and uh, and like an optional dialogue that is you know uh, like party dialogue is the great is a lot of the time a great part of a great RPG, and other Yakuza games didn't really have that to this degree. Like uh. Uh, I mean, uh, Zach, we made an Octopath comparison a little bit earlier on how Ari felt excluded. She is in some of the party chats, but it, it wasn't it annoying in Octopath how they're like your party never interacted except for ta- tavern scenes. Yes, it, like <laughs> like like going from from Octopath to a game with a to an RPG with a with you know a party that likes hanging out to each with each other is like going from Yakuza. Kiwami 1 to Yakuza 7. Like, like a game that feels almost too lone wolf to a game that is so so group focused that it's that it's delightful. The worst is when you hit a party chat and it's 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 actually funny, you're really enjoying it, but then on the mini map you see like there's some enemies approaching you from mm-hmm. one side and there's some enemies approaching you from the other. <laughs> and you know like the second one of them sees you, that's the end of the party chat and you'd have to look for it again. That's when you equip the accessory that let, that allows you to just avoid all enemy all enemy random encounters. <laughs> and then they also you can go to the bar and and hear every party chat again if you want, which is mm-hmm. also a nice feature because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and they are really good and funny. And especially I think for Ari and Jungihan and Zhao, who feature less in the the main story cutscenes than the other than the, the, the main four. It's really nice to have that little bit of extra development for them to, to get to know them a little bit better. Yeah, they benefit from that a lot. You're right. And, I mean, just to go into the, the different ways you can interact with your party members, there's also the drink link system, which is, yes. a, lot, which is a lot like Persona Social Links or, or Confidants, <laughs> where uh, it, once you um, interact with a party member enough by fighting with them, by you know, having them join you in battle or something... You can uh, have a drink with them at the at the jazz bar in the west western part of the map, and uh, so, and uh, and you and just have a heart to heart talk that eventually spins off into a cutscene where you got to fight some dudes because there's a lot of cut uh, side quests that evolve into fighting dudes in in Yakuza games, um, and and and, the, and those are really great and and uh, and upgrading your drink link system will convey um, benefits in 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 fights. It's there are so many interacting systems and things to do in this game that you're constantly being rewarded. Like even going to the batting cages or the or playing darts or going out golfing will increase your social stats. That will that will uh, like allow you to, I don't know, uh, like 
like like romance the girl at the jazz bar that remembers all your conversations and it's it's like you're constantly being rewarded for things or unlocking things or giving more choices to do things that is uh that is that impressed me so much i i like it when games give you player choice and player freedom that for both story rewards and gameplay rewards and my two favorite games of 2020 yakuza like a dragon and hades both had do that in spades, which is why I'm going to be playing both of these games maybe forever. Because again, I'm, I'm serious about maybe platinuming this thing. I think Speaking you're going to have a fun time on the last Millennium Tower. I decided to <sighs> try it, uh, and uh, I okay. I'm gonna. This is I okay. I don't know. It, it, it's, I talked about this on uh, random. I had some minor issues with uh, this game at around chapter eight, where my uh, the the steam media uh, review version got updated and mm-hmm. all save games suddenly became invalidated. So I lost all of my progress. So I was like this for about, mm, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks. You guys were playing the game. I, well, I was like, I need to review this thing and I can't and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, I, I remember like chatting with you about this in, a, in our own private channels. Uh, you started the game before everyone because you got a copy early and then you got stymied by the save stuff. Then I started the game and passed where you were when you got stopped and then mm-hmm. when you finally got to play the game again, you you uh, won- mainlined it so fast that you ended up beating the game before I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am, this is embarrassing to say, I cheated. Um, at Chapter 8, they couldn't fix my save file. This was before they, they were releasing save files out. I found a Japanese trainer program that allowed you to speed up the game by like five or six times. So I literally speed, run, speed ran the game back up to Chapter 8. Um, so I, I, and then after chapter eight, I just got rid of the trainer cause I was like, no, I want to experience it as usual. And I got back to my general level. Uh, then at the end of the game, after I, pla- after I, uh, beat it, I got everything done. I beat the millennium tower. I decided, you know what? I would really like to try the final millennium tower. So I said, and I admit, I, I don't want to say I cheated, but I, I jacked up the thing again, went down into the sewers and grinded for like hours just to be able to get to the level where I could, uh, beat the last uh the last dungeon and then i went into the last dungeon and the very first guys beat the crap out of me in about five and a half minutes and then i was Mm -hmm. just nope nope, i'm done i like post-game dungeons a lot and i looked at (laughs) the stats you need for it i'm like yeah that would take forever yeah it's not just the stats though like even if you have the stats you're still fighting enemies who are able to in many cases not one hit you but damn close you might remember when we were talking about Aerie, I had three dumb questions for you, and this is the second one. Um, am I being fair or am I being unfair? I think that this game has RPG balancing issues. Because yes. there's, there's, unu- uh, there's unusual boss difficulty spikes in Chapter 9 when you're fighting, uh, uh, when you're fighting that lieutenant and, uh, and Nanba at the same time. Because Nanba, brief- spoiler alert, Nanba briefly betrays you around the middle of the game when he's trying to save his brother. Uh, and and in, in, in chapter twelve, when you're fighting uh, Saijima and Majima, it's it, it's a little challenging if you haven't leveled up at the arena that unlocks right before then. And also, yeah. and also the, the dungeons in this game, I think, are a weakness. Uh, like 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 the sewer dungeon feels like it goes on too long and is and is a little too boring. I've only heard complaints about the final Millennium Tower. The, the regular Millennium Tower, that's the final dungeon of the game, just is too many empty office spaces and not and not enough interesting content. I think that this game does some RPG stuff really well. Like, I think the class system is fun. I think most of the combat is fine when you're just playing the game normally. But some of the RPG things 
like either needed to be scaled down or needed to be rebalanced because it's uh, and and maybe it's just a fact a factor of these people making a game making a turn based RPG for the first time. Maybe it's just you know decisions that didn't totally support. But am I being am I being fair? This game needed some has some RPG balancing issues. You're being totally fair. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, like I did the battle arena in chapter twelve because you told me that I needed mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I mean, even when yeah, I it was to... still a hard fight. Yeah, even though I did it, it was still a hard fight, and I had pretty much breezed. Even that chapter nine fight was a, a kind of a pain, but like it, it wasn't too bad. But oh, I I got a game over on that fight, but then I didn't realize that you can. Uh, so the character we're talking about is Ishioda, is the one of the only Ishioda. That's right. I couldn't remember He's his name. A mm. dick because he counters every move that doesn't knock him flat on his ass, and he also has a gun attack that if you're like under leveled can near kill you uh, if you if you get hit by it and you don't defend against it. Yeah, I, I um, had to, I had to emergency heal myself a couple times and then realized okay I'm gonna focus on Nanba first and then throw a bunch of of uh, of, of evasion and uh, and lower accuracy stuff at him so that gun attack will miss at least part of the yeah, time. That, that, yeah, that was the best way to do it. But it, I it, didn't it, realize it was a struggle. that you can mm-hmm. avoid the counterattack by knocking him on his ass. And once I realized that the second time you fight him, he was and third time there's another time right right there's, you, you, there's three you fight fights him, against him yeah you fight him first when he's in the construction equipment then then with it when he has the gun Four fights then, yeah then, then then he has the gun with nanba and then with the uh uh the the, the, the guy who's the assassin who can change his face what's his name it's Mir- chapter nine ten and fourteen that you fight him yeah so, four, fourteen yeah. is the mirror face fight and ten yeah. is ten is do you fight him alone after nanba or is that the nanba fight that that's when you're at the restaurant and you're rescuing Zhao. That's oh, Namba. that's it. Namba oh, I forgot about that one. Fight. Yeah, you, you fight Mabuchi and Ishioda separately. Yeah, right. But once I realized that he wasn't as hard, but man, that was a that was at first because I didn't realize how to, to how to counter him and his gun attack was so powerful. Yeah, I died. And then I don't. The game literally tells you in chapter twelve that you might want to check out the battle arena. Like you're required to mm-hmm. go there, but you don't have to. And I cannot imagine. People who just like, okay, that's cool. I'll do it later. Go to Omi Alliance headquarters and then just get face rolled. One of the issues to me is like, like if you have like the right skills for all those fights, like you can get through them a little bit easier, but it's usually like one very specific skill. And there aren't that many cross-class skills. And a lot of times you have to level a job up like pretty high, especially in chapter 12. Like you're probably not that high in any of your classes, let alone like a side class or whatever. And so I think the game... Like, if they had made it a little bit easier to have more cross-class skills, or they had trained you for what those types of fights would look like, it would be a different story. But it's like, it's just like, to me, it's like the game is easy, 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 and then like a little bit of a spike in nine, or maybe a higher one. I think I had done the sewers right before, so it wasn't as bad for me. Um, right, yeah, the, the, the sewer opens up as, and a, then a, as and then a regular a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so like if they had like trained you that like you need to understand how these skills work a little bit more, I think it's part of it. It's just like it wasn't important, it wasn't important. Now like it's so important that unless you have all your items and haven't used any of them, and you have all the skills, then like you're gonna die. Um, and that, I think I, that's part of the issue for me. I think two things like for the next game uh, that I would really like to see is I would like to be able to change jobs on the fly without having to go back to Hello Work. That's really I get I get why like from a story or world perspective but it's really annoying and i felt disincentivized to change jobs more often because i didn't want to have to run back to hello work to do it 
So it would be nice if you could do it remotely. Like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you just, you have a phone. Maybe you just call, uh, what's her face? Uh, uh, yeah at hello work and say hey i want to change jobs and she does it for you remotely like that would be really helpful and then i almost kind of think if they want to keep the the sort of job and leveling and skills uh that, you know uh, that they have it could be cool to do like a, a main job sub job thing where you could have two jobs equipped at once and like you get man i don't know you get maybe lesser stats from the second job or it levels up slower or something like that but some way that you can level more than one job at a time would be really helpful or at least more uh, more shared skills or at least a choice of shared skills because the way it is here you have a character level and a job level and uh I'm, i i i know all three of you know this this is maybe for a listener that doesn't uh that's that doesn't quite have it all uh and your job level is attached to each specific job and every job has two skills that are learned permanently once you learn them. Like it's, it's different for every job, but sometimes, sometimes it'll be the skill you learn at level eight and the skill you learn at level 24 are the two that you will permanently get when you change jobs. And like sometimes that really affected how I did my job strategy. Like I saw that a uh, fortune teller learns a really good lightning attack in the early twenties somewhere. And uh, and I would and lightning offense is a little uncommon to come by unless you have someone be, uh, level up as an enforcer or a fortune teller. So I made sure to have Nanba get the pretty high in fortune teller before I had him switch back to homeless. Um, but for this, like for for there to be more uh, more choice or more options for shared skills would be better. And I um, uh, don't take this as a as a correction or an over explanation caitlin but i think that the reason that they did it this way is for dragon quest flavor because in in all of the dragon quest games that have job systems you have to go back to the tower of dharma which was renamed all trade zabby for uh, some english translations and change jobs there and uh and sometimes you have to reincarnate back to a character level one sometimes there's separate job levels like in a like in dragon quest nine and sometimes it's in between like in dragon quest six and seven but it i think it's I think it's for Dragon Quest traditionalism reasons why some of those restrictions are on uh, are on the job system. I mean, I think that's true, but I also think that I would still. Yeah, it's also annoying. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> love having to go back to All Trades Abbey just when I want to switch yeah. someone from from like mage to mage to gladiator. It's a. Uh, uh, but it, like again, there's um, I, I don't I actually think the job system is fun to navigate in this game, but the uh, but does have in, inconveniences surrounding it that I wouldn't mind being streamlined in a future game. Um, and it does in terms of streamlining. I mean, we were just talking about it with some of the mini games, like mm-hmm. the business mini game. If they, they have introduced features and then they will streamline them in future yeah. uh, games, make them more fun. And I feel that this is what's going to happen with this. I wouldn't be surprised if they start looking at like other, I don't know, Final Fantasy or something like that uh, for some more inspiration in the sequel to like a dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rather than entirely leaning even further into Dragon Quest, they could go to other RPG inspirations um, yeah. and provide some nice quality of life boosts. With that it. would be so cool if like every future entry with Ichiban is like it's inspired by a different, you know, long storied RPG franchise. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I might be dreading the the game that does the tales inspiration but 
but that would be kind of cool. I mean, like, like uh, I think we already got some Final Fantasy inspiration because this this game's summon system. Oh boy! <laughs> in, in, in one of the in one of the funniest cutscenes in the game, with several funny cutscenes, um, Adachi shows Ichiban a, f- a flyer for Poundmates, and I think Adachi believes it is a uh, it is a dating or hookup app, like uh, like 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 Tinder or Grinder, when really it's um. Uh, because he, you know, he interprets and he in, interprets pound a certain way, but in truth, pound mates is call someone to help you in a fight, and then they'll and then they'll say thank you for choosing pound mates and leave because, like they inter because pound mates in fact means mates you can call upon to help you pound other things, and you receive pound mates phone numbers, sometimes in story in in story plot points and sometimes for resolving side quests. Uh, if you complete the cat searching, uh, the, the, the cat hunt mini game, uh, you can summon a cat that turns into a tiger for pound mm-hmm. mates. But uh, but yeah, the, the, and that's sort of the game's summon system. You can pay yen to uh, call pound mates for a powerful summon, and eventually, I, um... eventually Majima, Saijima, K- Kiryu, Daigo, and a bunch of classic Yakuza characters are available as pound mates. I uh, I love the uh, the soup kitchen lady. <laughs> Uh, from one of the sub stories, oh, she's um, really cute too. She's a, cute, yeah. But cute like, uh, I, I, I assume that maybe her uh, this happens with her Japanese uh, seiyu as well. But at least with her English voice actor, when she's she 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 appears, her her, her summon is to restore uh, your MP, um, and she does it by cooking you a meal. But she is like, she's mad. She's like staring at the enemy while she's doing it, and she's like. Uh, speed cooking like chopping the vegetables like super super fast and she's like Aah! like she's super pissed off while she's cooking i love it it makes me laugh every time i use her and there's one side we're, let's let's uh, do a tangent into how ridiculous some of these sub stories are because i mean this is <laughs> this is tradition in many a yakuza game but and yakuza 7 does it really well there's one sub story where you meet a uh, a dominatrix lady who is a little bit older than the other dominatrices at her club, and she's being bullied by the younger women. And then you also meet a masochistic dude who just can't feel pain anymore, even if Ichiban like beats him up for a full ten minutes. And but then, <laughs> but then eventually the the two storylines intersect when the mother of the masochistic dude ho- hopes he finds a wife, but her son is too weird, and uh, and she works with the lady who moonlights as a dominatrix. And then when you when the dominatrix and the masochist cross paths, for some reason her dominatrix strikes can actually have him feel pain again and a new romance blossoms and when you get their pound mates number uh i think it, it does a status effect to all enemies or lowers their defense or something but it basically she beats her new boyfriend so violently that he goes flying into the crowd of enemies that you're targeting <laughs> and and and, and it, it, i mean i mean this is just the tip of the iceberg here <laughs> One of my favorite series of sub stories was the zoo up oh. in the oh, park. The chimpanzee fight. The chimpanzee, yes. And 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 the thing is, these are references because there's a, a famous fight against tigers that Kiryu has in Yakuza Two, and a famous fight against a bear that Saijima has, I think, in Yakuza Five. Yep. Yeah, because it's it's in the it's in the it's in the it's in the, the, uh, the 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 Hokkaido town that that uh, is in that game, and then um and then you fight people in construction equipment two other times in Yakuza Seven, so it's, it's like the zoo version, like the zoo side quest is Yakuza fight references, where you fight animals in truly insane situations. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious. 
I called my partner in at the end of the chimp uh, sub story. I <laughs> couldn't stop laughing at the, the image of the construction workers in the background freaking the hell out over the burning piece of, over the burning crane as they have like the heartwarming music and like the classic <laughs> style lesson at the end. And the end of standing there, it's great. And the, and the ringmaster's like, Ichiban, please join us in our circus so we can travel across Japan bringing smiles to people. And Ichiban's like, hell no, I'm GTFO owing right now. <laughs> this, so good. this game, it, like, this incredibly serious story about, about, uh, about the political future of Japan and betrayal and fatherhood and brotherhood against side stories like this. It's completely wild. Well, let's go back into the story for a second. In, in chapter 13, in the most insane plot twist of them all, you realize that, that Masato and Ichiban were accidentally switched at birth. That Sawashiro is Masato's father and Ichiban is Arakawa's uh, biological son. But because of a misunderstanding, Masato was left in a locker in a train station for maybe over an hour, which which led to um, to uh, defects in his physi- physiology that led to his disability. While Ichiban was found after only being in the locker a few minutes, and it was en- and was ended up adopted by uh, by the soapland owner um, Kasuga-san. So Sawashiro is not is not only Masato's true father but is partially responsible for a mix-up that completely changed the futures of masato slash aoki and ichiban that uh and, and and the result from this is i don't even know if if aoki ever finds this out like the, i don't think he, he never he never learns it but ichiban changes nothing for him like his his father his father figures in life were always Arakawa and Kasuga, and he all and he and he still views Aoki like a brother and Sawashiro like like probably like an uncle since I think he's the sworn brother of Arakawa, and and, and it, it like that moment was such a like a, a soap opera crazy late game twist that, that 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 definitely affects the player but doesn't affect Ichiban one bit other than make him even more upset when um, Arakawa is unexpectedly assassinated. For a while, I think you, I think you suspect it's Ishioda, or maybe even Sawashiro, but it ends up being the third lieutenant of the uh, of the Omi Alliance before the dissolution, Tendo, who is a very large man and very imposing boxer type guy, who you think might even be your ally at first because he he fights on your side in a in the big Omi clash in chapter twelve, but. No, Tendo is actually just an incredibly ambitious, uh, opportunistic, uh, and and physically imposing person who um, ends up being basically the final boss of the game. Like the, the like, uh, it's the second to last fight, and and like the last big party fight is against Tendo. Um, but after you beat him, uh, the the like he like Tendo's the gameplay final boss, and you punching Ryo Aoki until he comes to his senses is the emotional final boss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Aki was a pushover. Even in the solo fight between him and Ichiban, he was super easy. But Tendo has a lot of HP and can one-hit kill you unless you have Ichiban uh, do his his life three move. It was the only time I got a game over the entire game was okay, uh, was against Tendo. Can we talk about how irritating it is that the game is over if uh, Ichiban dies? Yes, yeah. that needs to stop being a thing. Yeah. Japanese RPG developers, please, like... 
Is that a thing in Dragon Quest? Because I know it's a no, thing it in isn't. Persona, and I hate it in Persona. It, no, yeah, it, it's, it stinks in Persona, but at least in a couple Persona games, you can have, you can, uh, if you level up your social links, people will take a fatal blow for you, which is yeah. very appreciated every time it happens. It's not, a tr- it's not true in Dragon Quest. That, that is an annoying uh, uh, gameplay element in Yakuza 7, but at least Ichiban is a total hoss. Like, it's, it's hard for him to die, especially since um, both the freelancer class and the hero class have a lot of healing and a lot of defense. Which is great. I 100% agree. It doesn't, like, I mean, it's, it's a little annoying, but it doesn't super bother me for the rest of the game. It does when there's a one-hit kill available, though. I, I, got, I got one hit killed by Tendo in the final boss fight. It was the only time I got a game over the whole game. They let me restart the boss fight by, playing a, by paying a ton of yen, which, which, I, which I did because I didn't want to run through half the Millennium Tower again. Yeah, uh. that's, um, that's the other thing they need to fix going forward is uh, the first like couple chapters, they're nice, and you have safe spots before like the final boss of a chapter or something like that, but they stop doing that for the rest of the game, and especially before the final boss boss sequence of the game there's no save why is that a thing um for we're jumping around a lot and uh, and i i don't mind but though the, there's two last things i want to go on i want to go over before we uh close up shop first of all uh that the, after you punch rio aoki expose his corruption to the world on your on your smartphone um with some help from mirror face a, an assassin who you encountered a couple chapters ago that was a that was a surprise uh, part of the of the of the final trick um and and eventually uh you um aoki takes a hostage leaves the tower uh ichiban chases him down they meet in front of the lockers where they were accidentally switched at birth um ichiban like begs aoki to 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 like to start over and uh and and, and let them be brothers again Aoki like seems to have, to have uh to have accepted his defeat and agrees but then Kume or Kume? Kume. Kume like takes a knife and stabs Aoki in the back. Kume is this sycophant, like jerk political activist who worked with Bleach Japan, who you encounter a couple times in the game, and is basically hero worships Aoki, but after the corruption being exposed, decides that Aoki has to die. And and Aoki dies in Ichiban's arms in in, in a in a just a devastating moment. I cried. During oh, that, like, I, Aoki, okay, I love Aoki, two things. He's voiced by William Lee in English, and I love William Lee. If you, if his voice sounds familiar, you probably have played Sleeping Dogs, um, where he uh, voices Wei Shen. Oh, Sleeping Dogs. Awesome. That, 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 that's that GTA-ish game set in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, that, the, yeah. yes, it's the, the better than GTA, GTA yeah, no, game no. set in Hong <laughs> Yeah, yeah, people, people really like Sleeping Dogs. I haven't played it, but I've heard good things. Mm-hmm. It's really good, yeah. and I just, I mm-hmm. love William Lee. He does such a great job, especially here with Aoki. So, like, I love his performance, but I hated Aoki. Every, you know, reveal about his, his, his corruption and bullshit, and every like every person that he offed or ordered offed, including his own, he thought father at the time, even if uh, Sawashiro didn't do it, um, he still ordered it. Made me hate him and want to kick his ass. I almost didn't agree with Ichiban's desire to try and like make him see the light and bring him back, but I was happy when he finally got through to him. And then Kume and I actually cried. I cried for Aoki. I. I teared up twice 
what, but first when it happened, and then later on at the very end of the game when we uh, find out what Aoki's final words to Ichiban were, I balled through the credits. So, like, this is the power of this game and this series and the awesome performances, I'm sure in the Japanese as well, but especially the English dubbing. Like, mm, so good. I um I, I cried too, but it wasn't so much for Aoki. Like I, I'm not sure that I think that he was even redeemable at that point. But what I thought was really moving was Ichiban's belief in his redemption. Yes. Um, like not so much like Aoki dying. Like okay, like he literally like he he tries to murder who he believes his father. He tries to murder his actual father. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he is almost irredeemable in my eyes. But that faith that Ichiban shows, like the beauty of like that sort of humanistic. Um, like worldview, like that being crushed at that moment. That's what I thought was really devastating. Yeah, yeah. Ichiban. Again, again, like Keiji Tong. Just, I'm sorry to keep harp, uh, bringing up the English dubbing, but oh my god, that scene was, it was life changing. Is what I'll say. And, and you know, and you know what? Um, I want to talk about the English dub a little bit. I because I I started in the English dub out of curiosity, mostly because we've been we. I'm shocked we haven't mentioned this yet, but uh. But George Takei voices Arakawa, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to hear George Takei voice a, a, a Yakuza boss in this game. And also, uh, Greg Chun voices Nanba, and uh, um, Johnny Young Bosch, who's a, a very well-known popular voice actor, voices young Arakawa, and I think, in a, and I think at least one other character. But they, um, this is the first Yakuza dub that they've put a sincere effort into since the original PS2 version of Yakuza One. And they uh, they made a, a genuine effort to cast mostly Asian Americans in the roles. I, th- I think um I think oh shoot either Zhao or Jun Gihan is voiced by uh, by a by a Filipino guy. Uh, it's it, it's it's not one hundred percent Asian Asian or Asian American, but it's a but the majority of the large roles are. And I thought that not, that's not only a cool effort, but these are some great great performances. Uh, it, like. <laughs> There's a karaoke mini game in this game. You knew I was going to talk about this. You just knew I was. Um, and like, yeah. like, in, like in many other Yakuza games, and uh, they do an English translation of the uh, of the memeified fan favorite song Bakemitai, uh, translating it as "I've Been a Fool." And Greg Chun sings it in an English dub, and he does a beautiful job. They, I'm so glad they did a good English version of Bakemitai. Now I have two versions of the lyrics to memorize. But um, the English dub is excellent. And second, going back to Aoki's death, it, it's just so sad that Ichiban has this endless wellspring of empathy and trust only for his father figure and his brother figure to, to die due to circumstances outside his control. And it, it, it's just so sad. But at the end of the game, at, uh, um, at Arakawa, or it's, I, I guess it's at Arakawa and Aoki's joint funeral, maybe. With with only other Tojo people in attendance, like like Majima and Saijima are there, uh, that it, that it basically ends up with him like uh, declining an offer to join the Yakuza and be a Yakuza big shot like he dreamed of being in 1999 and 2000, and instead just deciding to, to stay in Yokohama with his friends and his new chosen family. Like it's a little a slightly sappy choice looking into the sunset kind of move, but. I, I mean, you just feel for Ichiban so much, and you're glad that he finally has a family and has happiness. That you, that it's, uh, it's. I, 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 I started tearing up at Aoki's death, and then I think I may have had shed real tears during the end credits. 
Ichiban's uh, approach to friendship and love and uh, is very interesting. It's at no point in the game that I feel like he was infinitely forgiving. I thought that he showed how you can be angry and frustrated uh, with a friend or someone you love without just throwing away that friendship um, at various points. Namba especially is acting like a complete asshat through about from the point where he leaves until he comes back. And uh, I, I never felt like, I never felt like Ichiban was being blind to that. I never felt like Ichiban was being just like, okay, well I'll ignore this. He's going through a tough time. I felt that he was furious deep down with how Namba was acting, but he still was friends with him. He still loved him. Uh, and I felt that was the same thing with uh, his, with his brother. Um, it's, it's a wellspring of being able to recognize uh, other emotions within a loving relationship. Yeah. I- Ichiban just immediately understands that Nanbo was, uh, was, was compromised, had, was, you know, was undergoing a struggle. Nanba, the only reason he became a homeless person in Yokohama was uh, to search for his missing brother who was, uh, um, who who was an investigative journalist looking into some shady dealings, and but and and so when Nanba briefly betrays the group, and uh, and joins with the Omi Alliance people with the promise of his brother uh, being returned safe and sound, like like there's a, even a boss fight against uh, him and um, Ishioda that we mentioned, but it, it, like Ichiban immediately forgives forgives him and accepts him back, like because there there was never a question whether they had stopped whether they. Uh, had stopped being friends or not is eg bones like yeah you're going through a difficult time but now you're back we're friends again just because that was that was such a good scene uh when namba rejoins like that's absolutely like one of the top three scenes of the game for me is that 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 scene it's this game goes so many emotional and uh like emotional and dramatic places and there's so many memorable scenes i hate to do this but i have my final dumb question to ask and it's about a, it's about something that i feel like maybe i think is if not the worst part of the game a slightly negative part of the game um is and please tell me if i'm being fair or unfair here i think this game has a little bit too much casual sexism in it uh things in like game? Oh, I agree. yeah <laughs> like like uh like wh- why do the female characters have four optional classes and the male characters have eight and, yeah. and 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 uh, why are things like uh like and why are half of Saiko's weapons handbags or purses and um just the uh, uh and, and things like the hostess bars I don't mind that they exist but I think it's sort of weird that you go into a hostess bar pay the hostesses a ton of money then everyone then all the male characters in your in your group get an extra bonding points and become drunk while the female characters uh, just went for a walk around town instead. Like, that's a little gross. And then you get into how poorly written, like, embarrassingly written the romance scenes are in this game. Yeah, that was interesting. They're, they are terrible. Um, I... Uh, I, I uh, I unlocked five out of them because I I didn't I uh, I I think I I maxed out one of the stats right before the like right before the end of the game and didn't and didn't watch the last one but like the the one with the workshop girl who I enjoy as a character like ninety percent of the time like you, after you solve her little side quest she says now let me give you a special tune out tune up and then you fade to black and you get basically sexually assaulted by uh, by the girl at the jazz bar 
but Ichiban like responds to all of these romance scenes with complete shock but acceptance in a way that's that's like this is this is a little gross like like the, this is a poorly written romance video game thing yeah it's weird cuz like um I so so I played Judgment. Judgment also has dating, and you can also date multiple girls. And in Judgment, there is no uh, there's no consequence for dating them all. You can do it, and they never know. Outside of uh, uh, Yagami, occasionally talking to himself, saying, "Why am I doing this? I'm already dating someone. I'm such a dick." There's no consequence. But they those were you know fully fleshed out. Like you had multiple dates. You had conversations with them where you got to, to know about them. They had their own little story arcs and they were kind of complete and, and uh, kind of long going, depending on like, you know, how focused you were on dating the girls. And then here it's just like, give them 15 bouquets where all you do is give them the flowers and they're like, thanks. Okay. Next time. And then a little cut scene with maybe a fight or something like that. And then some like, you know, random you know they had sex or there was heavy sexual innuendo and mm-hmm. they they either the they either make out or have sex him now the 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 um the saving grace i guess maybe is when you do all of them and then you get the extra sub story where they find out that he's uh well they think that he's sleeping around i guess with someone else not them because they all seem to be cool with the idea that maybe he was yeah. with- them and then they kick his ass yeah there's a scene where he gets beaten up because there's because there's implied infidelity but then it's like but then it's like oh it was a misunderstanding we're okay as long as it's just the six of us it's like it it was weird whole persona uh persona uh five thing with oh yeah the the, uh, the valentine's day scene yeah yeah where Mm -hmm. uh yeah he saves the day the bartender again the bartender is your bro and saves the day after creating the situation in the, the first place. The bartender voiced by David Hayter in the uh, in in the English dub, which is pretty I, I was like I super that was cool. shocked by that. <laughs> I did not pick up on that at all. And he and he doesn't do a lot of roles. So for him to for him to, you know, to dabble in this, I thought was a, a really interesting choice. But but anyway, yeah, I think that there's a little bit too much casual sexism in in almost all of the Yakuza games. Like the dating stuff in Yakuza 0 is not great either. The dating mini game is is I think the dating minigame is like is one of the worst parts of that game. But then after you meet a girl, you can just call her over for karaoke or dancing or darts. And like like that's actually kind of cute. Like the dating in Yakuza Zero is cute after you play the annoying, horrible dating minigame. And the less I say about the photo shoot minigame in Yakuza Kiwami 2, the better. But uh um, yeah, that that is maybe the worst of all of these. But I think that there is some there is some casual sexism in the Yakuza universe that's like you can tell it's written by straight men trying to be cool. There are parts of the Yakuza games that are regrettable at least. But and Yakuza Like a Dragon, I think is one of the best. I've only played five Yakuza games, but this is in my top two, I think. And uh, there's regrettable parts about it, especially with how they write women um, and uh, and and LGBT characters. But overall, it's just such a strong package. We didn't even mention the movie mini game or the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which is which is a complete delight or and and we only just like scratched the surface of all the sub stories um uh, like and and uh one of the drink links uh, a psycho's drink link uh um 
side quest is beating up her sister's terrible boyfriend and introducing her to like an, an, a, 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 a new potential boyfriend that seems like a much better dude. Like, like it's like stuff like that. I just, I just love so much of the writing in this game and so much of the gameplay freedom in this game that it only makes me excited to play more Yakuza and maybe revisit this thing for a terrible uh, post-game dungeon on the way to on the way to a platinum trophy. But we'll see how far I get with that. But there's uh, so much game. It's it's truly a massive game. It's it's. I actually don't know whether or not I think it's tied with Yakuza Five in terms of the sheer amount of content that's shoved into this thing. Um, and although I 100% agree with you about the sexism, I mean I except for the dating parts, because I do want to, that's a lot of story content. You can skip over some of that if you don't mm-hmm, want right. to see it. It's not an excuse for it, but. I mean, I think the soap landowner, uh, my, the idea that I'm supposed to sympathize with him or care about him is problematic too. I it, can't skip yeah. over that. Yeah, you, you spend yeah. several chapters like insisting that you must avenge his death. And I'm like, well, that guy was kind of a jackass, wasn't he? Um, yeah. But again. Her first scene where she's like, he was a dick. He was gross. Yeah, but um, but Ichiban just is so overwhelmed with gratitude that he gave him a job and helped him out a couple times that he is willing to go like fight an entire section of Chinese triads just to avenge his death, which is you know you know crazy. That, and then that eventually leads him to the counterfeiting ring, which brings them in contact with the Liu Mang, and then you know that that sort of is part of the story setup that takes maybe eight chapters to take uh, to take place. But uh, again. I think this is a extremely well-written RPG. You don't even need to play a previous Yakuza game to enjoy this, uh, as long as you have at least an idea of what you're getting into. One of my favorite games of 2020. And uh, again, one of my 2021 goals is to play all the Yakuza games I haven't yet. Uh, mm-hmm. And that will happen in the future. But let's also talk about what's happening in the near future of the podcast. Um, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us in this uh, lengthy Yakuza Like a Dragon discussion. Um, all four of us love this game, and we're excited to talk about it. So it required the bare minimum of convincing for uh, me to assemble this panel for the, for this recording. Um, and I don't think any of us are done playing Yakuza, because, in, in part because we liked Yakuza Like a Dragon so much. But I don't think we're going to do any more Yakuza discussions for the rest of the year on Retro Encounter. Uh, we had two great episodes on Yakuza 0 last year and one great episode on Yakuza Like a Dragon this year. We'll see what the future holds for Yakuza and Retro. But I do know that the future for Retro Encounter includes Final Fantasy fourteen. We are going to have... I think four episodes on Final Fantasy XIV, one for each ex- existing expansion in 2021. Uh, and the first one of those is next week. We're going to talk about the Final Fantasy journeys of uh, a couple of our, um, of, of our regular panelists and also talk about Final Fantasy XIV and Realm Reborn. And Caitlin, I'm, you are not on the episode next week, but if you want to appear on a future one, I, I would love your input. So just, I'm just throwing well, that out there. Say you want me on either Heavensward or Shadowbringers. You don't want me on the Stormblood episode because I'm just going to be a negative Nancy for that. Penciling you really in, like penciling you in for Shadowbringers. But anyway, uh, the first of those FF14 episodes is next week, and also later uh, this month we're doing two episodes on Radiant Historia, that DSRPG that I played and got the bad ending on, like nine years ago or some such and i'm gonna replay for real this time and try to get the good ending because have i really beaten the game if there's a game with a bunch of endings and i got a bad one don't answer that uh but also we've planned out most of march already we're doing two episodes on muramasa the demon blade that vanillaware action rpg 
from that I think I think it was on the Wii in the late 2000s and then eventually got ported to the Vita and I have that Vita version loaded up and ready to go as soon as I finish Radiant Historia. And also I think we're going to do an episode on on Crimson Shroud which is an interesting 3DS game with an interesting design pedigree that I know a few people on RPG Fan are eager to play and talk about. So we're going to do a solo episode on Crimson Shroud and two episodes on Muramasa the Demon Blade coming next month. But if you want to um, ask us about episodes coming next month or any future month, you can email retro at rpgfan.com or also uh, find rpgfan on rpgfan.com proper or our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our Discord server, our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, something streaming almost every day on Twitch, including maybe some future Yakuza games. I don't know what they're playing. I... I am so busy with podcasts. I have streamed one time in my entire life, and it was five years ago. Uh, but uh, speaking of podcasting, Retro Encounter is not the only podcast in RPG fan. There's also Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness. Rhythm Encounter also every two weeks about RPG music. And Phoenix Edge, another weekly podcast mostly focused on current events. Please review Retro Encounter and those other three on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or whatever podcast listening venue you are using. We love feedback. Give us feedback. But if you want to give feedback to us at individual levels you should reach out to our social media accounts. Uh, Zach, how can listeners find you? Uh, you can reach me by emailing me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord at ZachW. And Caitlin. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Leon underscore Cazerol, and I believe I'm Caitlin A at, R- at RPGFan.com is my email. And Jono. Well, you can listen to me uh, every two weeks on Random Encounter, and you can also find me on uh, Twitter at Jono Logan. Excellent. And listeners, if you want to find me individually, you can find me at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and as Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord. Uh, oh, and shoot, we didn't even talk about the music in this game. i got to figure out what songs to use for intro and outro. Hmm. Oh, damn it. I was going to say something about... Receive uh, and turn oh, well. you. Oh, the, 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 that's the Majima boss fight, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can make that happen. Um... <laughs> You know, I really like the Maju, the the uh, uh, Mabushi boss fight music as well, but only for the very beginning. Eventually, it gets into some weird dubstep stuff that yeah. I, I, I don't like as much. But it has a really good hook at the beginning with the with the horns. Anyway, um, there is so much in this game that we couldn't possibly talk about all of it, although we tried in about two hours. Thank <laughs> you. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Thank you.